Welcome to The Wrap, a weekly podcast covering women's sports news. Bez, what have we got around the grounds this week? The Knights go from wooden spooners to premiers. Opals win bronze in front of a loud home crowd and Gina Reinhart jumps on as a major sponsor of the Aussie Diamonds. For our key story, we'll discuss the ridiculous clickbait claims of continued misogyny from the great, horrible man that is Steve Price. My name is Chloe Dalton. I'm an Olympic gold medalist in Rugby Sevens, and I also play AFLW for the GWS Giants. Every week on the show, I'm joined by my co-host, Bez, who works across all things rugby, women's sport, runs all the behind the scenes at the Female Athlete Project. Bez, we've had a huge weekend slash week of women's sport. I'm exhausted. You pretty much set up camp at Homebush for the last 10 days. Yeah, we were saying I probably should have just booked a hotel room out there. I think I was out there every day of the week, whether it was for training, watching the Opals, NRLW grand final on Sunday. There was a lot going on. The mayor of Homebush. The mayor. I've actually been given the keys to the city. (laughs) Let's take a look around the grounds. In NRLW, the Newcastle Knights have gone from wooden spooners to NRLW champions in the space of six months. On Sunday, they faced an informed Parramatta Eels team who were riding a wave of confidence after they knocked off the unbeaten Sydney Roosters in the semifinals the week before. Sadly for the huge number of Para fans in the stadium, in the blue and gold, uh, Para were outclassed on the day. It actually probably was a lot to do with the fact that I was on the Para bandwagon. I've been, I've been a Para fan for as long as I can remember since at least last Monday. I would say. It was definitely <laughs> definitely the weight of you jumping on their backs. <laughs> Unnecessary expectations. And we apologise to all para fans for the kiss of death. I oh, know. I'm, I'm sorry about it. <laughs> I think it's probably more likely that it was actually the big off-season recruiting. Millie Boyle and Tamika Upton were so – like they just showed their class. I think it was an interesting one for those two probably. They, they knew that they had a lot of weight on their shoulders going into something like that. And they stepped up and performed as all great athletes do. Um, Millie Boyle ran for a huge 271 metres while Upton received the Karen Murphy medal following a player of the match performance. She was immense in defence and she was very impressive under the high ball. A few um, a few tricky ones that came her way and she never really looked in doubt um, for, from taking one of them. For the Eels, their skipper, Samima Taufer, again showed why she's one of the most respected players in the game. She made 40 tackles in the grand final and her try under the post off a quick tap was, was awesome. She's so hard to stop when she gets going. So that got her team to within six points with 15 minutes to play. Shortly later, Gail Broughton looked like she had scored a try that could bring the Eels level at 18 all. However, after review, sometimes I hate the review because I'm just like, just award the try. But it actually turned out that she'd pushed Yasmin Clydesdale in the back when she was chasing the kick. So that try was disallowed. Unfortunately, that was the last chance for the Eels. And it kind of went a little bit downhill for them after that. The Knights cranked up the intensity and scored three times in the last five minutes to blow out the score to 32 to 12 at full time. It was a bit disappointing because I don't feel like that was a real reflection of the game. It was it was really hard fought and it was really close until those last five minutes, um, but but probably showed that the Knights were the deserving winner on the day. And I think the Eels did a very good job to to get to the grand final in the first place. It was the first grand final for the two teams who were only in their second year of NRLW, and 
I think, a very good example of teams that invest in their players will be rewarded. You can't really get a better example than the Newcastle Knights with those two players, can you? Nope. There was plenty said about those signings earlier on in the year when they moved from the Brisbane Broncos for big money. And unsurprisingly, they've experienced success. 17-year-old Jesse Southwell played halfback for the Knights on Sunday and also won a Commonwealth Games gold medal with the Aussie Sevens team earlier this year. She showed she's got a huge amount of talent and has no and will no doubt be at the centre of a battle for her signature in future. Jessie was quick to call out her older sister Hannah, who injured her ACL in round one, saying that Hannah built the team and was such an integral part of the victory, even though she wasn't on the field. That's pretty cute, the two sisters, isn't it? The game was played as a double header with the NRL Grand Final, and by halftime of the women's game, there were 42,921 fans at a core stadium making plenty of noise. It was a record crowd for the NRLW. It was loud in there and, it was, and they were absolutely loving it. And we love seeing the Thrill. Is that how you say that name? Yeah, Thrill. It's a hard one, eh? It's weird. We love seeing the Thrill under 12 girls team present the winners with their premiership rings. Great spectacle. Awesome game of rugby league in AFLW. Six rounds down, four to go, and it's Tight at the top. There are four teams. Tight. Real tight. There are four teams currently sitting on five wins and one loss, with percentages the only thing separating them. The Brisbane Lions lead the way from Adelaide, Melbourne, and Collingwood. The fourth place Pies won a real close one on the weekend with Eliza James's last gasp goal, securing a two-point win for Collingwood over St Kilda. Unfortunately for the Saints, they had a really big chance to upset the Magpies when forward Nick Stevens ran into an open goal with about three minutes to go and unfortunately just sprayed off the side of her boot. She only managed it behind. Um, That miss gave Collingwood a chance. And with a minute to go on the clock, James drained a snap from an acute angle that bounced through, giving the Magpies the win. Four goals, 12-36 to five goals, 4-34. After the match, James said, I just threw it on the boot and watched it. I was pretty lucky. I don't (laughs) hate that honesty. Um, In another close match, our game of the round between Richmond and Gold Coast saw the Tigers extend their unbeaten run to four games. Amelia Yasser put the Tigers in front with less than two minutes left on the clock at Punt Road when she took advantage from a teammate's free kick and slotted a goal. That goal was enough for the Tigers to hang on for a 3-5-23 to 3-1-19 win. And finally, it was great to see the GWS Giants Giants. bounce back from a record loss last week. Dispatch Carlton 4529 to 1612. Emily P scored two early goals, and once GWS got themselves in front, they upped their pressure on the ball and their tackles, preventing any chance of a Carlton comeback. Cora Storton added two goals herself and finished with a close points decision over Blues defender Mua Laloifi. In basketball, what a. We talked about living out at Homebush, but goodness me, it was worth it. It was so much fun. The. I haven't felt that invested in basketball in a really long time. I, um, I finished up in the WNBL a number of years ago and have since played a couple of other sports, but it was a really cool thing to be a part of. And I think we'll get into the Opals performance, but I think overall just the team culture of the Opals and the way that they went out and performed and got around each other and supported each other, I felt like was a very healing moment for a lot of people who maybe were a little bit, um, had been a little bit disconnected from basketball in Sydney and it was, it was a great time. No, I totally agree. And, and you're right. I love that we spoke about 
culture is a funny word and it's something that, you know, gets thrown around a lot. But I think after the debacle with She Who Shan't Be Named, there was, you know, a need for some healing mm-hmm. in that group. Mm-hmm. And it and it's obviously happened behind the scenes. But then we we were just I just felt so privileged to see the outcome of that work, I guess, that they'd done as a group on the on the court. It was it was really there for everyone to see that watched them. They played with a whole heap of joy and a whole heap of trust in each other and they got the results. Yeah, they did. At the event, the best basketballers in the world were on display and they did not disappoint. A close second to the players in the performance rating were the fans. So this is so cool. FIBA confirmed that the Sydney tournament had the highest overall attendance in the history of the competition. 145,519 fans went through the turnstiles at Homebush and they were loud. None were actually loud. Oh, then the sold-out finals day crowd of 15,895 fans who watched the Aussie Opals destroy Canada in the bronze match and Team USA handle China in the gold medal match. Just jumping in just on those numbers too, I think a lot of there was a bit of chat around some empty seats during that bronze medal match. What happened was Phoebus sold the, the finals day as two matches now, we'll, we'll probably talk about it later, but the Chinese team have a huge following. Huge. They're like huge. I don't, I don't know if I've been at a sporting event that's been that loud. Amazing. And obviously jumped on and snapped up a whole heap of tickets for that finals day and then, you know, as is their right, made the choice to not get there until closer to the kickoff of the gold medal match. So definitely not a kickoff, tip-off. Um, but, yeah, I think that's. Tech foul. <laughs> Let's quickly address this gold medal match. So the Chinese team had battled hard the night before to get past our Opals by two points, and it it may have just taken its toll on that Chinese team. Asia Wilson for the US scored 19 points, and Kelsey Plum added 17 to help the US to another World Cup title, winning 83-61. to Wilson and Plum arrived a little late to the tournament, fresh off the party bus celebration for winning the WNBA championships with the Las Vegas Aces. That late start did not stop Wilson from winning the MVP award of the entire tournament, which was an impressive Tissot watch. Have you, oh my gosh, her in the press was the best thing I've ever oh, seen. so good. Her <laughs> walks in with a bottle of champagne with her, with her watch. Uh, according to my Tissot watch, we're gold medalists. She's amazing. Love her. We got to chat to her post-game. We made it in time to chat to her. I need to get that video up on our socials because that was good fun. <laughs> the bronze medal match, otherwise known as rose gold, or I like to call it dirty gold, I guess. I think definitely dirty gold. Rose gold's a bit prettier. So that was the first game of the day, as we spoke about, and the Aussie Opals v Canada battle was also a farewell to the go. Lauren Jackson had announced that the game would be her last in the green and gold, and we've spoken a lot about what might be one of the best comebacks of all times, nine years away from the game, 15 operations on her leg, two children, 41 years old, the list goes on. But the GOAT is the GOAT for a reason. She absolutely dominated that match, scoring 30 points, the second highest tally for any player in a single game this World Cup. She was supported by Steph Talbot, who capped off her best tournament for the Opals with 16 points, eight rebounds and eight assists in the 95-65 to 65 win. Tabot was named in the All-Star 5 after the medal presentations. So well deserved. Yeah, she played a great tournament. But, look, it was all about LJ and when she sat down for the final time with two minutes to play, the entire Superdome stood and cheered a legend of the sport. 
It was her eighth medal from nine World Cups and Olympics and came in her 187th appearance for the Opals. And despite plenty of questions about one more Olympics campaign in Paris in 20 months, LJ was emotional but resolute in her decision to leave the green and gold for the next generation. She said, this has been the most humbling but incredible 10 months of my life. I said to coach Sandy Brondello after the game, thank you for selecting me and for giving me the chance to play the sport I love in front of Australia again. And to then say goodbye, it's something I could never have imagined. My boys are just babies, but they made huge sacrifices. I've been away from them too much, especially in the last few months. My boys need their mummy and I need my babies. (sighs) Feels. So good. We got to sneak into that press conference. We looked like absolute rookies. It was our first time in there. We didn't know where we were going. I was like, I guess I'll put my microphone on the desk. But we got some great content. (laughs) We did. We're Ah! learning on the job. It's It's the best way to do it. Absolutely. When we were watching the gold medal match, we had a discussion, Bez, and I said, don't say it out loud right now. Save your thoughts for the wrap when we record this because is it better to win bronze or lose pretty convincingly against the US and get silver? I'm going to start, I say winning bronze, hands down, any day of the week because, not any day of the week, most days of the week, because you get to then be on the court, celebrate, lift LJ up, grab the microphone. Whereas China still celebrated their silver, but it was a little bit like, I feel like you need to give the court to USA now. Whereas Opal's winning bronze, that's your moment. Agree. In that, in that um, context and in that space, for sure. And the, I guess the question you have to kind of ask yourself, and look, I've never won medals, so probably speaking out of my hat here, but what's the difference between silver and bronze anyway, really? Yeah, I think if you're the ultimate competitor, you always want to do the best you can. So technically, silver is better in that context. But I don't think, I think there's a big difference between gold and silver and gold and bronze. I think the difference between silver and bronze, not that significant. I agree. And like you said, the the fact that they actually got to have their celebration moment on court was epic and something that those players and, and staff will definitely remember for a long time. In a cricket, Queensland batter Laura Harris has obliterated the all-time record for the fastest WNCL century, reaching her 100 in just 50 deliveries against the ACT Meteors. She was giving it a good whack. The game was held at Bill Pippinover, which apparently is one of the smaller grounds used in the WNCL, but Harris was in some sort of form regardless, smacking eight boundaries and eight sixes on her way to the record. Queensland were three for 92 when Harris came to the crease in the 22nd over and the powerful right-hander raced to her half-century in just 23 deliveries. Then there was a brief rain delay, which threatened to put the brakes on the runaway train. That was Harris, but the players returned and it didn't take long for Harris to smash a six down the ground and bring up her 100. Harris said after the match, I try not to look at the scoreboard as much as I can because I just overthink it and then it all turns a bit silly. I actually didn't even know <laughs> that I'd hit the 100 until I turned around and said to Hinkley, who was her batting partner at the time, what were they clapping? I'm a pretty chronic overthinker, but that comes with the game. I feel like I want to be her friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was more rain on the cards and the match finished with a win for Queensland by 47 runs via the DLS method. In some international cricket news, the Australian women's team has hit a new high in the latest ICC ODI rankings with their level of domination never before seen at international level. Having won all 12 matches in 2022, including the World Cup final in April, 
The team was awarded 170 points, a huge 51 points ahead of the second-ranked South African team. That buffer is the biggest lead any international men's or women's side has ever had in any form of the game. Investment just works. Just be better. Australian cricketers, you're just too good. Too good. Everyone else, everyone else needs to be better. In soccer, a bit of an update from last week's story about the 15 players who contacted the Spanish Football Federation and asked to not be considered for selection due to concern for their mental health and emotional state. Coach George Vilder said he hasn't considered resigning and has called the situation a farce. Vilder named his squad on Friday night for Spain's games against Sweden and the United States next month, and none of the 15 players were included. Vilder fronted a press conference on Friday and said, I wouldn't wish what I'm going through on anyone. A lack of clarity in the message from the players has led people to believe that there are non-sporting issues here. I'd ask every player I've coached if anyone can say they haven't been treated well to come out and say it. He repeatedly says he was open to dialogue, but in an almost hour-long press conference, he insisted that he would now build a new national team with those players who are committed to the national team. How about how about turning that around to make himself the victim? I wouldn't wish what I'm going through on anyone. He's just doubled down on his arrogance, hasn't he? Like it's frightening. Spain women's all-time record scorer Jenny Hermoso says the dispute between her teammates and the head coach is the worst moment in Spain's women's football history. She's been part of the national team since her debut in 2011 and shared her thoughts on Twitter with a long post that described her time in the squad when she wrote, I want to publicly express my support for all my colleagues who a few days ago decided to communicate their position. Not only do I understand your reasons, but I have also experienced many of the feelings and concerns you have communicated. I'm very aware of this because I've had the opportunity to live unique and immensely happy experiences playing for Spain. But I have to admit that in recent years, I've also had very tough moments of suffering before, during and after national team camps. An endless number of situations that left me unable to recognize myself and in turn made me feel immense loneliness within the national team. These last few days, without a doubt, have been some of the most difficult that I have lived as a professional footballer and as a member of the Spanish national team. After all that we have worked for, it breaks my heart to realise that we are living through the worst moments in the history of women's football in Spain. Rough, really rough. Is that not what the coach asked for? Someone's just called him out even further, right? Yes. The New Look team will have a serious challenge on their hands when they play world number one, the USWNT, and world number three, Sweden, next week. This is all going to end poorly at some point. It's Mm -hmm. very sad for everyone involved. In netball, so we've discussed the financial situation that Australia, Netball Australia faced with reports the organisation recorded losses and debts of up to $11 million post-COVID and a number of other things. There was an offer from a private equity firm two months ago to buy out that debt and take over the running of the game. That offer was withdrawn after NA refused to engage with that group. Late last week, NA Chief Executive Kelly Ryan announced that Gina Reinhart's company, Hancock Prospecting, had come on board as a major sponsor in a multi-million dollar deal. The agreement with the Diamonds will run until the end of 2025 with the money to go directly into the team's high-performance program. Kelly Ryan said NA were incredibly grateful for the support, saying this is a major investment for our sport and is a huge contribution towards the ongoing success of the Diamonds. Hancock Prospecting is investing directly into the Diamonds' high-performance program allowing Netball Australia to maintain its position as the cornerstone of women's sport in Australia. 
We're excited. They have chosen to partner with Australia's most popular female team sport and the world's number one ranked netball team. So this is the fifth Australian sport Reinhardt has backed alongside Olympic sports, swimming, volleyball, synchronised swimming and rowing. Hancock Prospecting has fashioned itself as a saviour for struggling sports. A controversial attempt at gaining a positive association with an Australian public that is becoming increasingly worried about climate change and the impact that mining has on our environment. The announcement was met with widespread criticism and former Diamonds captain Shani Norda shared her feelings on Twitter, writing, As a proud Sports Environment Alliance ambassador, it's unacceptable to put our brand alongside an open climate denier. We have put too much into our sport to give social licence to a company whose profit-at-all-cost attitude puts our future in danger. Be better. It's a difficult situation with NA desperate to find a way out of their financial spot they find themselves in, but surely partnering with Reinhardt is going to hurt the game in a time when more and more athletes are speaking out about climate issues. Tough, really tough one. What's your thoughts there, Chloe? Yeah, it's a really tricky one to address because as we chatted about before recording this, a lot of the time in sport you see that the three options are almost alcohol, gambling or mining. The, uh, often the big companies that are investing in sport across men's and women's sport. And as we know, historically women's sport has struggled for big investors. We know that Netball Australia are in some financial trouble. It's a really tricky situation. Where where does it sit? You can look at the um, Live Golf where there was a lot of controversy about players that were going to play and in terms of questioning the the funding that was coming through there. There's it's a really complicated one in sport because at the end of the day, sport is a business. And where do you stand as an athlete who wants to advocate for things like sustainability and and making sure that we're doing things that prevent the impacts of climate change? It's I I don't really know what the right answer is. No, it's it's difficult. And I think you've you've nailed it there that the unfortunately the suitors that tend to come knocking on the door with the with the big money have oftentimes found that big money in places that morally are challenging for everyone involved. Let's take a look at the key story. On Friday, a Steve Price authored article appeared in the Murdoch Press and without being too outraged, it was filled with no facts and nothing but clickbait. But clicks it got and therefore we feel compelled to address some of the claims made by Mr Price. Price referenced the previous week's results, including a record margin, and noted that if the same situation arose in the senior men's AFL competition, there would be calls for a Royal Commission. Probably slightly dramatic, but there we are. (laughs) Unfortunately, the comparison is just flat out ridiculous. Just a little bit of fact checking for Mr. Price. The AFLW is in its seventh season and sixth year. The players are part-time athletes juggling, juggling, juggling. Sometimes they jug. Post-season they jug juggling full-time work and training. Men began playing the sport in 1896. It's a while ago. Not even I was born then. <laughs> the VFL introduced a salary cap in 1987 of $1.25 million. That cap has increased steadily to its current level for the 2022 season of $13.1 million. That's per team. By our calculations, male AFL athletes have been full-time professionals for 35 years. So when the AFLW athletes become full-time professionals, and I say when, not if, and have been that way for 35 years, maybe prices comparisons might be worth considering. 
Price then called out the standard, saying it's not deserving of the attention and funding it gets. The VFL plus all men's metropolitan and country teams are better to watch and the standard of play is superior to AFLW. Seniors high school boys football is better to watch. He continues by saying the country and metropolitan football has been starved of funding by the AFL, who instead have chosen to spend money on the AFLW. Before we even get into addressing some of those points even further, I just wanted to actually read out the headline of an article that he released a couple of weeks ago titled Non-Binary Bathrooms, No TV Ads Without Coloured or Asian People. This old white man is sick of it all. Look, he's... He's he was born a white hetero man. He's look. He's had a really rough life. We need to be concerned for Mr. Price's well-being. I just, I just am trying to imagine like his boss saying, "Oh, Steve, we're struggling for clicks this week. We know you're. We all know you're a racist. Can you write this article this week? And then we all know you're a misogynist. We need an article about AFLW. And there he goes. Well, this is it. And this is the other thing that you know, the Herald Sun prints those articles and then purports to support the AFLW. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, we're supporters of, of female athletes. Well, you're not because you're, you're allowing this guy to, to spread Correct. absolute falsities. Male players, including schoolboys, have been playing the game unhindered and supported since they were toddlers. Female athletes currently playing senior footy grew up having to play alongside the boys, which was daunting for many until they got too old and then they had to choose another sport because opportunities and support for girls playing footy didn't exist. And when we're speaking about struggling clubs needing financial support from the AFL, it's interesting to note that there are a large number of clubs in footy that credit the explosion of girls and women playing AFL with a major injection of funds and members. The growth of a number of traditional male sports in recent years can be attributed to the addition of female athletes to the game. And there's actually data that backs that up. Yeah, and speaking from experience in rugby union, that we have a number of clubs that have, you know, absolutely championed the fact that the girls' rugby union and women's rugby union has saved their clubs. Mm-hmm. If you'd like to have something slightly nicer and more refreshing to read, Bez, you found a great article. Um, Written by Pamela Whaley on Code Sports, she writes about the different approaches that the NRLW and AFLW have taken when it comes to expansion and growing the game. People have criticised the NRL for being slow to expand and the AFL for diluting the talent when expanding to all 18 clubs this season. Instead of criticising either code or the wonderful product both are already producing, she looks to the future. A future where... She says there will be women's teams for each club and the pathways will be solid and thriving. No matter how the NRLW or AFLW competitions were started, the talent at the top will be elite, full of athletes who have had quality training from a young age, free to develop their skills and progress through a system that encourages them to succeed, just like the men have always had. And I'll let you finish off this one, Bez. I did like the way that we just both nodded through that, those last seven mm-hmm. words there. She wrote also in that article, 30 years from now, it won't matter how they started, only that they did. So good. Love that. We are talking about it. We're kind of almost contributing to the noise, but we thought it was important to address a lot of this comment, commentary I've seen around it. It's so true. You know what, Steve Rice, if AFLW is not for you, great. Move on. Don't watch it, mate. Walk on. Like it doesn't, we don't need, we don't need you. It's for, it's for 
thousands and thousands of other people and little girls and, yeah, it just, mate, if you don't like it, that's great. You know, don't watch it and um, try not to spill vitriol in your articles. I know that's tough for you, though. Let's take a look at what to watch. In Rugby Union, it's been a long wait, but the 2021 World Cup is about to kick off in New Zealand. Saturday we'll see the start of the tournament, which features 12 of the best teams from and where around the world battle it out to be crowned world champs. The first three games were played at Eden Park in Auckland with the final match of the night between the host New Zealand Black Ferns and our own Wallaroos. So the day is probably going to see some records tumble with over 30,000 tickets already snapped up. Organisers are hoping they will sell the remaining tickets for the 47,000-seat venue. But regardless, the record for biggest crowd at a Women's Rugby World Cup match, which was 20,000 in the 2014 final in France, will be smashed. How good. So good. The Wallaroos will be looking to start their tournament with a strong showing against the Black Ferns, who, along with England, are favourites for the title. The game kicks off on Saturday at 5.15 Australian Eastern Daylight Time. Clocks changed yesterday. That was tricky. Confusing. Make sure you... Make sure you yell loud enough they can hear you across the ditch. The game will be live on 9GEM, free to air, and Stan Sport. In AFLW, fifth place North Melbourne Kangaroos will host the first place Brisbane Lions on Saturday at Arden Street Oval. It should be an absolute cracker. The game starts at 5.10pm AEDT and you can watch live on the 7 Network, Foxtel and on the AFLW app. The Matildas can, will continue their search for form before the World Cup with two friendlies in the next week. On Saturday, they play South Africa in London, kick off 10.30 p.m. AEDT, and you can watch live on 10 Bold, 10 Play, and Paramount+. Plus. And then on Tuesday, local time, but Wednesday morning, our time, they travel to Denmark to face the Danes. That match will kick off at 3 a.m. AEDT on Wednesday. And we are doing our first ever live audience for a podcast recording. It's going to be this Thursday at 6 p.m., at Budgie Smuggler HQ in Manly, uh, in Sydney, New South Wales. I've put a link up in our stories on at the Female Athlete Project. So you can go and fill out the form if you're keen to come along with a friend um, and we'll be announcing the winners today, Tuesday at midday. So make sure you get in quick for that one if you're keen to come along and watch that one. Um, the final stop of the Red Bull Cliff Diving World Tour will be held in Sydney in the harbour on Saturday the 15th of October. Get that in the diary. It's going to be epic. So good. Jumping off Mrs. Macquarie's chair into the house. Can't wait. And that's the wrap. Well done, friend. Great job. Good effort after your Homebush residency. Thank you so much. Uh, this podcast drops every Tuesday morning, 6am. Subscribe to the newsletter as well if you want to get it in your email to read with your morning coffee. Link in the show notes. See you there. See you next week. Okay, bye. Bye.